astronomy outreach and some listener advice for Chris. On, that's me on episode 393 of the Actual Astronomy Podcast. I'm Chris and joining me is Shane. We're amateur astronomers who love looking up the night sky and this podcast is for everybody who likes going out under the stars. We have a Patreon supporter to thank this week, Shane. We do. Thanks, Chris. Not you, but not me. The Chris that gave us or is a new Patreon supporter. So thanks, Chris. Really appreciate it. Uh, and as always, thank you to all of the Patreon supporters. It, uh, it means a lot to us. So thank you. I think he's ongoing. I could be wrong, but I'm, I'm pretty oh. sure he's, oh, okay. it, which, which is fine. Cause we don't really sort of like delve in too much. We, uh, appreciate the support that people give and, uh, give them all the thanks that we can possibly give. <laughs> there you go. Did you get any observing in this week, Shane? I did not. Um, however, I did add uh, one more TMB Super Mono to the collection. Whoa. Uh, yeah, just came across the seven millimeter, which is one of the gaps that I have. Um, so that one is on its way from a gentleman in British Columbia. Uh, posted it on Astro by Cell, or not Astro by Cell, Astromart. Mm. And uh, I was able to get in there quick enough. So yeah, I'm kind of excited about that. So that'll give me almost all of the focal lengths. The, uh, there's three main ones that I'm missing, the 12, the 14, and the 16. Um, and then there's an exceptionally rare 21 millimeter, uh, that there was only about 50 of those ever made. Um, and so those, those are the last four that I would need to, to finish off that set. And I just sort of keep an eye on the used websites. And if one pops up, I'll, you know, I put my name in and see if I can get it. But, but, uh, you know, with, with these kind of discontinued rarer eyepieces, you just have to be persistent, you know, and over a period of time, you'll probably end up with all of them, but, uh, it does take time. What about these new, uh, Takahashi ones the tpls that's right yeah that's the name yeah i'm intrigued by them um i'm waiting for a couple of different reviews um so on cloudy nights there's two different threads one of them is just the uh, tpl user reports and somebody on there i forget the handle um they they've lined up you know an eyepiece shootout so i forget what focal length but uh, they're going to run the TPLs against the Super Monos, uh, the Zeiss Abbey Orthos. Uh, I don't know if there's any other ones in there. There, I thought there might have been. Um, so I'm curious about the uh, the results of that little experiment. And then mm -hmm. uh, Dennis, who I bought my Bino Viewer from, he bought. <laughs> he's a uh, he's a super dedicated kind of eyepiece tester, I guess. And he bought the entire set of the Masuyama, uh, MOPs oh. as well as a complete set of the TPLs, but times two for both of those so that he could test them oh. in his bio viewers. <laughs> so smokes. yeah, that's what I said. Um, so I'm also very interested to hear his report, um, because he's observed with the super monos and the Zaos, the ZAOs, um, as well as a number of high-end microscope eyepieces that work quite well for astronomy. Yeah. So yeah, I'll be curious of, about his opinions of them. And once those come in, I'll make a decision. Um, because, you know, if these TPLs really are in that league, um, say of the Super Monos or the, like the higher-end uh, simple glass eyepieces, 
I'll probably give a couple of the TPLs a try just to see how I like them mm -hmm. um, and kind of go from there. There's a person on Claudia Nights. I, sh I should remember their name because I read so many of their posts and they do a lot of observing with um, like a six inch F5 refractor and, mm -hmm. and they have recommendations for some of those microscope eyepieces. I, some of them are Zeiss and some of them are, anyway, he, he's got a bunch of different recommendations. And once I get my seven inch Acromat running, um, I'm thinking I might, uh, try to track down a few of those uh, mm -hmm. to try, but I'll, I'll probably talk to him first. Cause I think it's, it's a little bit of a pain to, uh, to try to find those eyepieces, but they aren't crazy expensive. So. Yeah, they, they can be a little challenging to find. Um, uh, Dennis, the, the, again, the, the guy that makes the, uh, Zeiss, what are they called? The CZAS, the, um. Well, I forget even what that acronym stands for anymore, but he, he makes the, or sort of, uh, takes these Zeiss Bino viewers and makes them usable for astronomy and sells them, uh, yeah. on cloudy nights. He posted a huge thread on a number of the microscope eyepieces that he's used and the quality, but more importantly, how to identify them because like the Zeiss ones will have, um, like three sets of double digit numbers, like 42, 38, 49 sort of thing. Uh -huh. And those numbers, like just like if, if it's, you know, that last number was 39. Well, if you buy, yeah. you know, the huh. one that the last number is 38, it's a different eyepiece altogether or, uh -huh. or not the same. So it becomes really important to make sure you're getting the eyepiece you think you're getting. Um, but I have two pairs of the Zeiss Opmi's, uh, OPMI. I don't know what that stands for. And, uh, they have the, the T star sonar coatings or whatever Zeiss is kind of famous for. Okay. And they are incredible, Chris, like the oh. comfort, uh, the clarity, everything is just amazing. And I have the 25 millimeter and the 20 millimeter, um, sets. And for a bino viewer, it's kind of nice because just about all of these microscope eyepieces come in pairs because that's how you would use them with a microscope. And, um, like the, the Zeiss Opmi's, I think I was get, I think I paid about $500 per pair, um, which is not a small amount of money, but when you think about you're getting like two high, high end eyepieces, that's actually a pretty good deal in my mind. So, yeah. um, yeah, once you get that seven inch going, I'll, I'll bring out all the toys and we can play around a little bit. Yeah. That'd be fun. Yeah. Looking yeah. forward to that. Yeah. Did you get any observing in Chris other, other than my eyepiece purchase? I did not. Yeah. So I, I wanted to see this business of uh, Jupiter. I think it's in the polarizing band that Alistair talked about in that episode we released a few weeks back. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, and a few listeners sent some emails about that, including Alistair actually. Yeah. So, oh, and I didn't put that in. I should have, um, maybe if you can, you can grab that one from Alistair super quick, but I, uh, yeah, it was kind of cloudy-ish that day. Mm -hmm. And what I was able to see is that amazing sun dog. Did I, did I send that one to you? I don't remember seeing it. I don't think you did. Oh, no. I'll put it in the notes here because, um, yeah, I had to go and teach my, I teach my class offsite, I think, as you know. And, uh, yeah, just when I pulled up to the building... I could see it there. I put it in the show notes now so it can be shared in all its glory. Cool. And it, uh, yeah, I just like, 
put my camera out the window because it was minus 36 with the wind chill. So I was waiting in my car as long as possible <laughs> before I hopped out. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I just pulled up Alistair's email uh, on the Jupiter observation and he just said very fleeting got it every 20 seconds or so then gone lost among the floaters my eyes not as sharp as they used to be binoculars it's easy of course uh mm -hmm. and then he said cheers from a balmy minus 18 degrees celsius then a breeze yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah so a little chilly for him too i was ready to look for it because where I go to teach my class, there's all these buildings and it's like a perfect spot. And I was set to do it. It's just that moment was the clearest moment. And I thought I might try to take a look after my class, which, which ends sort of later in the afternoon. I thought that would be the perfect time. And when we stepped out, it was, it was completely cloudy and I think it was even snowing lightly. So mm. I wasn't seeing anything like that. So mm -hmm. that's the way it goes. Yep. Well, at least you tried. Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's see. Yeah. I've been working on the calendar and I talked to Berta, who's a mm -hmm. friend of Alistair's. Mm -hmm. And so we had a chat. She's, she's helped me out a little bit. And so are a ton of other people. I've recruited some new volunteers because I'm not going to go through what I did last year. That was a little bit, uh, difficult. And so just in our conversation at the end, she was showing me, she had bought one of those C-Star uh, S50s or received it, I think maybe as an early Christmas present and had been out trying it out and uh, was saying how much fun it was. So what sh her use case is the use case that I would use it for. So I was super interested because she's a visual observer, sketcher, amazing sketcher. And uh, what she was doing is setting it up, just like putting it, you know, to the side and kind of programming it to run. And then she's just going and doing her visual astronomy and then just checking out the images afterwards and not doing like any image manipulation or, or trying to make, uh, you know, uh, beautiful prints or anything. She's just, you know, using it as sort of her own personal, uh, auton autonomy scope or robotic scope to take a look at some interesting things that maybe she's not able to observe from her backyard. Mm, okay. So that's kind of like, and I was telling her my idea for it. And I'm not going to get one this year, but I'm just going to kind of wait maybe till the next iteration or two. Cause mm -hmm. this, like this kind of level of $500, I think is what they go for ish American. I think it ends up being 700 something Canadian is in the range of where I would buy one. And then I just kind of want to see how, how this one pans out and if they keep refreshing it or, or if they all break down after, you know, six or eight months or something. I, I don't know, but this, this is in the price range that, that interests me. And then my use case would be, um, probably for tracking comets, like, and comets that would be too faint for me to see, like with my eye, it's not like, um, again, for making beautiful, uh, photographs, but there's been oftentimes there are times where I'm like, all right, this is what I'm seeing, but it, like, is that visible? Like whatever, it would be neat just to be able to like, you mm. know, do, do an image of it right there and uh yeah just kind of in in line with my own observations so i'm kind of keen for something like that a right. little bit down the road yeah sort of like are you like it, if i understand correctly is it to sort of confirm observations at times yeah confirm observations at times and then maybe look at stuff that uh that i might not even 
want to track down. Like sometimes there's there's comets. Well, there's always comets up there, as you know. Mm -hmm. Um, and many of them are just too faint for our equipment. Like you would need like a 20 inch scope or something like that. And then even if you had that, you would spend like all night just tracking down the comets and looking at them, which don't get me wrong, is super cool. And I've spent lots of evenings doing it, mm -hmm. but it would, you know, I'm, I'm not prepared to, you know, put all of my clear nights, which are few and far between into just doing that. But I still would like to, you know, kind of be a part of sort of hunting them down, looking at them and then you know, you could probably uh, use the data from that to do like visual magnitude estimates. So it'd be cool to kind of get all that together. And then, you know, when you have your cloudy day the next day or whenever it is to actually submit your visual magnitude reports uh, using that, you probably would get some pretty consistent um, images, right? You'd be mm -hmm. able to, you know, have some productive data. Uh, like they wouldn't be beautiful images like the ones that uh, we'll get to in a minute that a listener sent us, but uh, I think they would be useful right for oh for sure yeah, yeah. so yep. that, that's and, my thinking and another neat thing too um might be adopting some variable stars and then starting to capture their light curves over a period of time no i'm not doing variable stars no oh no, i'm okay. just kidding i'm Ooh. just kidding I'm just, just <laughs> you your variable stars <laughs> you and rick Kuziak. blast <laughs> your oily hides i'm not doing very no yeah that would be cool too yeah um yeah and there's there's like a few other things like as the more I observe, so my my observations, I'm doing more observing now than I ever have. I'm doing longer sessions than I probably just about ever have, except for when I really first started. But you realize like how little observing that actually is. Like as much as like you could like, you know, I'm reading a, the book on Barnard who observed like all night when it was clear every night, blah, blah, blah. And still not you know, still feeling like the pressure of never having enough time or, or clear nights. So for example, you think of like looking at some of the uh, carbon stars, right? Mm. And you know, yeah, you can probably look them up and see when they're going to be bright or dim, but I'm not thinking about that beforehand. But when I get out there, it would be nice to have it set up so that, you know, I could plunk it down, have the carbon stars programmed. Um, and then it would go and kind of, you know, do, do the imaging of the carbon stars, uh, things of that nature. And then like have that comparison image of, you know, sort of on random nights and then see when it's bright and when it's dim and when it's redder and when it's orangey and all that kind of stuff. I think that would be a super cool use case. Just like you said, uh, you know, maybe seeing how some of the tone changes in, in the variable stars, um, positions of double stars, things of that nature, I think would be super, super cool. But mm -hmm. see, for me, having like the beautiful images that so many people take, which I certainly appreciate, obviously, but uh, just to have sort of my own data of saying, oh, like if I went out and took an image of Barnard star, you know, every, you know, six months or something like that, and then you'd be able to kind of start to see it plot along between the stars. I think that would be uh, super cool, um, things of that nature. Yeah, yeah. I think that would be a lot of fun and uh, you know, as, as, like one of these uh, imaging telescopes, you know, it it makes that whole process a lot simpler because it kind of does all of the work for you. Mm -hmm. And I think it's, uh, you know, if you if you were to acquire one of these things, I think you'd just continue to find new and exciting use cases for it. Yeah. And um, even those nights where you just, you maybe want to do astronomy, but you're too tired from the day at work. Um, you know, pop open the observatory roof, set this thing up to capture some photons, and then, you know, you can go rest and you're sort of accomplishing both goals. <laughs> yeah. Although once, 
the the roof opens easy enough but i'll tell you once you open that roof you're exerting enough energy that uh, you're probably going to be able to observe mm. <laughs> so it's a pretty good half there for a couple minutes but uh, oh, okay it's it's all good it's all good yeah probably i would just take it and plunk it on the grass but uh, oh. yeah things things of that nature for sure yeah it would be it would be really really need to have or even just here in the city although i don't know with the lights that are around here i don't know how it would work but that'd be the neat thing to kind of figure out because i have a little i was going to say lawn it's not a lawn it's just a a blank area with a couple trees in it but uh yeah i wondered if i even threw it out there what it would do kind of thing i think we put filters on those i can't i know there's a solar filter on um on birdas and Mm. she was saying it's awesome on the sun yeah um, I'm just curious because there are a number of light pollution filters that the astro imagers are using, uh, that seem really effective. Like some of these, uh, astro imagers are from light polluted urban centers and, mm-hmm. you know, combined with the filters and some post-processing, they're able to really do some amazing work. Yeah. I don't know what you can load into it exactly. And I don't know how big the field is. And again, I, I kind of want to see this first iteration play out and, and to be, you know, Frank, like I'm trying to get my observatory finished. This is my, this is my main goal. So mm-hmm. anyway, uh, digress on, on that. But, uh, we also sent a shout out to uh, Howard Banach, mm-hmm. uh, if, on his sky and telescope sketching article on m78 which was in the january edition he he wrote back which was cool and then we we were talking about my pure vibration and i was mentioning my idea because as, as a telescope builder and as somebody who's much more handy than i am and as an experienced astronomer i was curious to see what his thoughts were and he he knew somebody that kind of knew somebody on this topic of putting sand uh around the pier uh, maybe in a sauna tube or something and and so he's kind of put me in touch with that person i think i still have one email to uh, to connect with that final person i'm going to try to do that later on today it's just been uh, busy with the new job but uh yeah i really appreciate that it's kind of neat to have people that are listening to the show people that i'm reading their articles in magazines and and uh, howard is just uh you know such a great sketcher and then there's other people that do some some great articles too and then uh to be able to have that connection to sort of uh get some good information on how maybe i can fix things up a little bit in the observatory is really appreciated diane sent us a guest request and uh, we'll do our best to connect with that person Uh, the person is a youtuber which is great we've connected with some youtubers in the past the the difficulty i find shane at least with the youtubers is that it's almost best when they contact us because on youtube there's not like a really clear way to say like just message the youtuber or something like the gift mm-hmm. to post and i've tried this before with other youtubers where i'm like oh this person would be a great guest to have on the show and i like post in their um what do you call it in like the replies or comments or whatever it's called and then i don't know whether they just never see it or i forget to keep checking back and maybe they they have replied like you know a long way into the future but it i've never really seemed to have much success at connecting that way versus um damien who's one of our upcoming guests um he's uh he's got the damien k's astrophotography youtube channel so if you google that he's going to come on and talk about doing um some very different i i've never i'm i'm sure i've heard about this but he does planetary imaging 
with very large Dobsonian telescopes. And I'm very interested. In fact, he wrote and explaining who he was, I knew exactly who he was because he was one of these people that I'd hoped to have on the show eventually because uh, I'm a subscriber to his his YouTube channel and have watched all of his videos um, on doing planetary imaging with these these huge telescopes. And have you had a chance to watch any of his videos yet? It's super cool. Yeah, I haven't watched a lot of them, but yeah, it is really cool. And and to see the the enormous daubs, uh, you know, with cameras connected, it's pretty cool. Yeah, he's got, I think, some of the Hubble optics. And that's how I end up finding his site mm -hmm. is I've, I've been curious about those instruments. Some of them are pretty big and fast, like I think F3 or F33, 24 inch. And I believe he has one of those. Uh, again, people should should tune in in February when he's on. And uh, and then he's doing imaging of planets with them. And the results are amazing. It, it's mm. really cool what he's doing there. Cool. Have some other uh, guests coming on. One of our uh, listeners or a couple of our listeners are going to come on. We have uh, Alejandro, and he's a, I'm going to say, somewhat new observer. I think he's been doing it for a few years now, but he's been pretty successful at observing from his backyard. And he's sort of very, you know, we're, we're very jealous. I'll put it that way, Shane. He's in Florida, and it's pretty cool to hear from him at this time of year. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. Uh Warm temperatures, highly desirable for you and me right now. Exactly, exactly. I think you're going to get a taste of that in a few weeks here. But uh, he's uh, he's also been pretty successful at starting astronomy uh, while having a, a young and very busy family. Mm -hmm. And so he's going to talk about uh, that a little bit as well. So I'm kind of curious to hear the perspective because you and I have been doing this for, for a long time. And I think... Uh, you know, and I think you do as well, Shane, it's, it's, uh, going to be a good opportunity to start bringing on some people who are newer to astronomy and to be able to bring that perspective, uh, to the listeners. And we can have a conversation about sort of how these people are now getting started versus how you and I got started, um, you know, a long time ago. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's always good. I think to do that because you and I will, uh, lose some perspective and probably forget about some of the learnings from, uh, starting out in the hobby. Plus, uh, you know, you and I don't have young children. So, you know, bringing that perspective to the table yeah. is also pretty cool. I think so. And uh, another person who brings a good perspective and he's coming on, he's going to give something away. Uh, Planisphere, I think is what we're giving away with Chris Wilcox. And he's an astronomy uh, bookstore owner and an astronomy book lover. And as an astronomy book lover myself, I'm super excited to have Chris on and just have a chat. Yeah. Yeah. That'll be awesome. Yeah. I mean, just, he's uh, a relative, I think again, has been doing it for a few years and uh relative newcomer and, you know, just the combination of being newer to astronomy and bringing that perspective. And then I think the treat for me on this one, he's somebody I kind of want to just maybe chat on zoom with anyway, which I've done with a few people and haven't recorded it or anything, but um, just to talk about astronomy books and he's, uh, carrying some interesting titles. So that should be cool. And then you were talking to Bill about, uh, what were you talking to Bill about? Yeah. So I, I'll, I think his last name is, uh, pronounced McGinney. Uh, if that's incorrect, I apologize, but, uh, Bill runs a YouTube channel called light pollution news. And, mm. uh, to your earlier comment, Chris, Bill reached out to us to see if we'd be interested in coming on his show. So I will be 
appearing, I think sometime in April, I forget the date. Mm. Um, and Bill has agreed to come join us on our podcast and, uh, talk about some light pollution. And he has, uh, in just a, a few of our email exchanges, he mentioned that he has a hundred millimeter, uh, binoculars, which oh, wow. uh, would be quite interesting to look through. Um, but yeah, we'll, uh, we'll have a chat with Bill here in, uh, probably a month or so. Yeah. Peter uh, Jedicky was on last week. He's uh, committed to coming back on in April at some point in time to chat about globular clusters. And then I think we're going to try to have uh, Cindy crash back on to talk uh, about what she's, she's been up to because Cindy came on and talked about sketching back in autumn. And uh, we had a lot of positive feedback from that one. Cindy is uh uh, very interesting person and she's on some pretty big adventures, uh, right now, I think so. Yeah, that'll be great. Yeah. So looking forward to that as well. And then we have a few more, I'm working on a few, a few in the background, so we'll see, but Neil sent us, uh, an observing report and, uh, maybe do you mind if I take a read? Cause this is yeah, go for cool. it. Yeah. So Neil is in the, uh, Northern Midwestern States. I'm hoping I'm getting that right. And so it's been cool there as well um, temperature wise. And so I was pretty impressed as I got through this to read all this and then to find out how cold it was. So, uh, Neil writes, hi, Chris and Shane, longtime listener, first time caller always makes me laugh when I get that. I wanted to write in with an observing report from last night. And this is just the past week. My daughter's high school astronomy class had a last minute stargazing opportunity yesterday on the first clear night yet in their semester. I asked if I could come along and brought my four inch F7 Mead Acromat on a photo tripod and my small case of eyepieces and observing accessories. Her instructor had me put the telescope on Jupiter to start, and I used a 24-millimeter, 68-degree eyepiece for 30 magnification, and that gave a great view of the disk and Galilean moons and a wide enough view to be not to be adjusting for Earth's rotation uh, every time a new person came to look through the telescope. The instructor talked about the various reference points in the sky and they that they had been learning about in class and a few constellations along the ecliptic as well. Then we turned the telescope on M42 with the same wide field eyepiece. And that gave a nice view of the whole sword region and the nebulosity that's there. We finished the night with the waxing crescent moon up to hundred magnification, uh, talking about phases, night to night variations of the moon's position and even earth shine. Despite being minus 20 degrees Celsius and having 40 centimeters of snow on the ground, the group had a very nice time and it was special for me to get to spend time with my daughter and her classmates sharing what I have and know. There was almost nothing fancy equipment-wise in use. One acromatic refractor, a basic photo tripod, and some one and a quarter inch eyepieces plus the red dot finder. The ability to grab two items, put them in the car, and go was key to making the night successful. I know the two of you have done teaching and outreach, but I would just want to remind your listeners that humble equipment and whatever passion and knowledge that you have developed are plenty to begin introducing anyone into observing. Thanks for your work on the podcast and elsewhere promoting the hobby of actual astronomy. Neil, thanks so much, Neil. Really appreciate that. Yeah. Awesome email. Um, and, uh, I, you know, I love the, just sort of get out there and go. It doesn't really matter. Even if you really have a telescope or binoculars, you can use your eyes, but use whatever you have. And mm -hmm. 
you know, you're, you're going to, uh, enjoy it. it. It's just a super fun time for me anyway, whenever I'm out under the stars, it's a different way to enjoy nature. And, um, sometimes simple is better. You know, I, I'm, I think that's why you and I tend to gravitate towards smaller telescopes is just, they're so easy to use. They're, mm -hmm. you know, quick to deploy. And you know, the old saying in astronomy is the best telescope is the one you use the most. So, um, you know, sometimes, uh, sometimes these simpler setups are just, uh, more conducive to getting you outside and absorbing some photons. Speaking of, uh, advice and friends, uh, Bill sent me, uh, an email there, Shane on, uh, a few different topics. He said, I've been thinking about your peer issue. Uh, I like Eric's sonotube filled with sand idea. Uh, what I'm wondering is how is the wooden post fixed to the ground? Is it in concrete? And how much of the post uh, uh, does it extend into? And if there's a good footing around the bottom. Um, and so what Bill was suggesting is that if if I can, one option might be to uh, make like a bit of a T that would affix to the bottom of the post where it meets the ground and that that would provide uh, some stabilization. And then he offered to uh, send me a finder. I think... I, I got to follow up with Bill. I know he uh, he's uh, recovering from being a little bit out of commission. So uh, I think we're going to follow up uh, maybe in the next week or so. And maybe I can take one of his finders off his hands or something like that. I am. <laughs> Good. Uh, Seth sent me a note on dew heaters, which uh, I appreciate. So I still haven't decided what I'm going to do with the dew heaters. Um, he Seth, what Seth wrote is, I enjoy listening to your podcast and get vicarious pleasure hearing about your observatory, something I will probably never have. Um, never, never counted out. I never thought I was ever going to have one either. And here we are. You mentioned the expense of commercially purchased dew heating, dew heater controller. Uh, I faced the same dilemma and vowed not to succumb to the exorbitant costs of something that is really simple. If you have soldering iron and a little bit of DIY skill, you can make one for the fraction of the cost. I have done so and even made up a four channel controller um, that works well and is powered by a standard 12 volt rechargeable battery. Several plans are available online. And then he gave me the, there's an instructables.com making a cheap do controller using a LED dimmer, um, which is basically uh, a small black box not the battery. Uh, there are plenty of videos with other designs. There are some sophisticated with LED displays. If you want something simple that works, um, this is fine. Some people monitor the temperature under the dew here to make sure it doesn't get too hot. So yeah, I really, boy, this is one of those times I really, I feel like you would be able to build this shame, but this might be beyond my very limited DIY capabilities. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, I didn't actually look at that link there. I should. Um, but you need things like, things I don't have. I don't have a soldering iron. And uh, I have done some soldering in the past. But yeah. uh, let's see. I think one of my big challenges here is just like trying to collect all that stuff. I feel like if, if I did this, it would take me a long time to do it. I feel like this this would be a good one for you, Shane, if you were looking for uh, for a project. 
Or maybe, uh, hey, maybe you want to maybe you want to build a four channel one for me. <laughs> I don't know that I'm looking for a project, but I'm I'm certainly willing to lend you my soldering iron. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, quite neat. Yeah, it is. It's really cool. I really appreciate that. Um, I was aware that people made them. Uh, again, I, I have a, I have a few challenges, and my biggest challenge is time. And I don't have any, unfortunately, between making the podcast and I work like 50 hours a week and, uh, and then I'm building the calendar at night for the RESC, um, sort of on the flip side of that, the calendar, yeah, it, it's a pretty high priority and it, and it takes, uh, it takes a lot of time and attention and, uh, I'm just, I need about three months to do it and, yeah, I'm almost debating whether or not to do it or maybe to try to do this in the summer. I haven't bought anything yet. This one really, I was just about ready to buy. And then I got this one from Seth and, and one from another listener. And I thought, oh, I'm going to just pause on this and give it a think. But I'm mm -hmm. still not sure what I'm going to do exactly. Well, <clears throat> certainly, you know, the, the cost savings of the DIY makes it pretty intriguing because... Mm -hmm. Uh, some of the numbers you were floating past me for, you know, a, uh, like to buy all of this stuff was not insignificant. So yeah, so, yeah, this is appealing. I wonder if there's a way to do it. Cause I find that the, the strips in that aren't too bad. It's, it's that controller box mm -hmm. and the power. Um, yeah, I'm also, I'm also concerned that if I made it, it would heat up too much. And if I bought a commercial one, like a really good quality one, that I might not run into that problem. So I get like the idea of putting sensors under I'm, I feel like I might end up getting so complicated that I just would never finish the project. So I'm, I'm considering it though. I appreciate mm -hmm. the email. I haven't mm -hmm. bought it yet. So that says something. We'll see what happens. Yeah, right on. Anything to add to uh, this short, I guess it was supposed to be a shorter show. Sorry, I guess maybe it's a little shorter. Yeah, no, nothing to add, Chris. Mm. So uh, please subscribe. Listeners, uh, we do really appreciate it when you subscribe and, um, we also really appreciate it when you send us your show ideas, or if you have a guest that, uh, maybe we can have on or, or you've got a particular interest, maybe you've got a YouTube channel and, uh, we'd love to have you on. If you have a, an astronomy focused YouTube channel, that'd be great. You can always send us your observations. And if you have any questions about astronomy, write us at actualastronomy at gmail.com. Thank you everyone for listening and we hope you enjoyed the show. If you are interested in more information, would like to contact us, or if you would like to support the podcast, check out our website, actualastronomy.com. <laughs>